Well, welcome to another episode of Off the Record, a candid, casual conversation about the life and culture and church. And uh, today we are in for a real treat. Uh, we are so grateful today to have Dr. John Stumble, the president of our Christian Missionary Alliance, with us today. So, John, thanks for taking time to uh, to be with us today. Thanks for the privilege. It's a great drive down from Columbus. Well, we're looking forward today and our conversation a little bit about how God shows up in the midst of our struggle and our pain. But before we get into that, I know for many who may not be as familiar with the Christian Missionary Alliance, uh, can you just give us just a quick little overview about who we are as a family? Sure. Lex City's part of this bigger family of churches, 2,000 here in the United States and 38 languages in the United States. Very diverse community that we get to be part of. And then 22,000 worldwide. I'm not in charge of all 22,000. I just get to oversee the U.S. side of things, and we have 700 missionaries that are serving in 60 countries, so you're part of this big family. Well, thanks for just your leadership on that. It is a big family, ever-growing family, and uh, we're excited to be a part of that at, at Lex City. Well, today during a time, we'd love to just have these conversations about what God looks like in our lives, the reality of how our faith interacts with our everyday challenges and struggles and victories and joys. And uh, today, as we talk about this idea of how do we find God in the midst of these struggles, the challenges, uh, I'm so grateful to have you here today to be able to share, because what you're going to be sharing isn't just a, isn't theory, isn't something you've read in a book or just some nice Christianese things. This has really been a, a journey of your life and uh, where God has met you in some of the darkest moments and walked you through some of the most difficult valleys. And, uh, I was so grateful today when you said you'd be available to come spend some time, because as I thought about this topic, there were just, even as we prayed before, there are just names and faces in our church family who, who come to my mind, who are in the midst of this, or have just had this chronic struggle and pain, and I can see it in their eyes. It's just, it has wore them out, and at time, the hope fades, and so I'm excited for your story, maybe just to be a reminder, a little shot in the arm, like, you can do this. And, uh, and God will meet you there. So why don't you take us back to the very beginning, set a little context for what your journey has looked like. Sure. And Brian, as you know, I'm going to tell a health crisis story, but for all those listening, participating today, what I discovered was it really doesn't matter what door of the school of pain you enter from. When you get into the school of pain, we all have a shared experience. So if somebody's wrestling with economic issues, relational issues, physical issues, whatever the front door is that they're coming into pain, we end up asking very similar questions. That is so good. And isn't it amazing? You look at others and you try to compare. Well, theirs seems greater. Listen, my pain is my pain, and it feels like a 10. So I think that's such a great perspective wherever it catches you today. We understand, acknowledge that fact. It feels overwhelming. So, yeah, Brian, I was uh, as healthy as any 47-year-old that I knew. I was, my daughter got me involved in this crazy sport called long-distance running. Well, we were never runners in our family, but she wanted to run in a local park. And so we worked up and did a half marathon together. And she went on to be a national champion. And I went on to just plod along on these really long races called ultra marathons, 50, 60 kilometers up and down the mountains of Oregon. So I was in pretty good shape. That's the only reason I'm saying that. And don't pass over that too quickly. That is amazing when you think about these endurance runners, 
50 miles, 100 miles endurance races. My brother-in-law is a, an ultra runner. In fact, this June, he finally qualified and got chosen a lottery. He's going to be out at the Western State Endurance Run wow. out in California. Wow. And so we're going to go out and uh, and celebrate him. You're going to be his pacer? I, if he gets that, well, if I wait to mile 80, he might be slow enough for me to, uh, to actually pace him. My son paced him actually down in Texas, and he said, Dad, it was the most painful thing to watch in the middle of the night i mean after 80 miles already his toenails were falling off and he's just pressing on so i don't pass over that too quickly because you understand what pain was you understand it's just grit i mean these men and women that are putting in these kind of miles uh, there's just a grit about who they are and so yeah you are at not just healthy but you really are at a pinnacle well, I was having fun, too, and I wasn't doing those lose-your-toenails races. But anyway, back to the story. So on October 18, 2008, I noticed I had a little rash in my body. Didn't think it was a big deal. In fact, I blame my wife. I'm, I'm embarrassed <laughs> to admit it. But I thought she changed the laundry detergent. She hadn't. And before the week was over... I was too weak to drive a car. Something was attacking my muscular system primarily and had some manifestations on the skin. And so I went to the doctor. They started running tests. They were confused. It was a very rapid onset of something. And uh, I would eventually uh, be carted off to the hospital in an ambulance because I had passed out in my bedroom. And um, they... Do the things that doctors do, you know. They ask the right questions. They put you through the tests. They run the blood work. And eventually I slipped further and went into a coma. I was in the ICU ward of the top research hospital up in the state of Oregon. And up to this point, I still have the I'm healthy, I'm a long-distance yeah. runner, I can conquer anything kind of mindset. But uh, unknown to me, I'd been in a coma for five days. And when my eyes slowly opened like the aperture of a camera, I looked up from the hospital bed and I saw faces looking down at me. And I thought, Minnesota, Montana, oh boy, they've come from all over the United States to see me. I must really be sick. Hmm. And sure enough, I was. I had gone septic. My body was shutting down. There was numerous times over the next few weeks in that ICU ward when uh, the code blue kind of things we called Joanna, after being with me four straight days, went home to get a shower and regroup. And while she was home, those couple hours got the call. John's not responding. If you want to see him one more time, you better get up here now. So at midnight, she's driving back up to the hospital. And, and um, uh, so, yeah, I was at a pretty low point physically in, in that odd moment. Wow. And so much at this point, probably trying just to process, how did I get here? What's happening? And Joanna is sitting here emotionally walking through these days at such a level, isn't she? You're, you're nailing it there. Uh, two things you just said. One, in the early onslaught of a physical challenge, there's kind of this stunned shock season. I can't believe I'm here. I don't know how I got here. Why am I here? If that was a car accident, if that was a sudden financial reversal, or you thought you, your marriage is fine, all of a sudden you're getting the news that it's not. And there's there's for lots of scenarios, and we kind of enter the shock phase. But you also implied that the other people around you are having a different experience. And so my testimony today is from the vantage point of the person on the receiving end of the crisis. But let's also remember that 
lots of other lives are impacted and they're not going to respond with the same way and don't guilt yourself or them for having a different experience because she was sympathetic and empathetic and all those things and i was just pathetic you know, <laughs> just laying there and trying to survive so so anyway um after uh, over a month in the icu ward uh, i was no longer dying they had never figured out what was wrong they dismissed me with a statement you stumped us all we'll have to call it the stumbo syndrome i really don't have a disease named after me but that was it was their way of saying we ran every test we had in this building you flunked them all we know 200 things you don't have but we don't know what you do have but you're no longer dying and somebody else is so they need the bed you don't go go to rehab so they they sent me off to rehab where i uh, was in a wheelchair i had lost 50 pounds of muscle mass in that hospital as whatever was attacking my body. I asked the doctor late in the journey there, did my long distance running like cause this? And he resolutely said, no, absolutely not. But I'll tell you this, if you didn't have a strong heart from your running, you never would have survived all that the rest of your body went through because there was issues uh, in all sorts of different functions. So uh, all that to say, uh, get to rehab. I had gone into the hospital weighing 190 came out 140, six foot, 140 pounds, and had a tracheotomy that was healing up because at one point in this journey, they had a bunch of hole there to keep me alive. And uh, for me though, the biggest thing was that feeding tube. I had lost the ability to swallow. I had, the attack was on my muscular system. And for you to get the saliva that's in your mouth and to get it to the back of your throat and for the uh, muscles and nerves and the hyoid, hyoid bone to work in perfect synchronization for you to get that single swallow of saliva, that's the design of a master artist, a divine creator. When a Mayo Clinic doctor explained the swallow function to me, I don't even know if she was a Christian, but it was uh, a worship moment for me. This is amazing. But mine had completely stopped functioning. So I was uh, living on nine cans a day of two words which should never be put together. Medical food. Which is it? Is it medicine or is it food? Don't tell me it's both. But anyway, that was breakfast, that was dinner, that was lunch, uh, lunch and dinner. And so, um, yeah, that was uh, the journey that I was beginning to process. I'm out of the hospital. I'm no longer dying. I'm 140 pounds. I'm in a wheelchair. And I can't eat slowly i was dawning on me i might not just bounce back on my feet quickly and i can't even begin to imagine that moment for some of you that are listening today you understand that moment when you get that moment of clarity like my life may have forever been changed um and not in the way that i i would have liked it for those of us that haven't had that kind of moment of clarity, what, what are some of the range of emotions in that season? You're like, wow, I'm feeling all of this. I was moving from the shock and awe uh, to the realization. And one f problem was I just had a hard time focusing. And so like everybody was giving me books to read. My mind was so blurry, part of it because of medication, part of it because of the crisis, part of it because of the emotions. Three minutes of reading and I was done. Uh, so one thing I'll say to you, Brian, is people will be well-intentioned. 
and they will do some or try to say some wonderful things and they may be totally clueless and it's okay. Don't expect them to be able to provide for you what you need at that moment. You don't even know what you need at that moment. Forget about them, but receive their act as an act of kindness and, and, and Christian love. So what are maybe a couple of things that's such a helpful insight for us? Uh, for those of us that are on the other side, what are just some things, just don't do this. That's not as helpful as you think it is, or, or what was maybe just a couple things as we come alongside people and encourage them, what, what should we do, what was helpful, and maybe things we could avoid? Well, I think the number one thing to avoid is to avoid. That's good. <laughs> you with me? So uh, I was stunned by the people who like leaned into our lives at that moment and said, how can we help? What can we do? Is there anything? And those that felt like, oh, they're sick or, oh, he's sick. And so they, they didn't want to or didn't feel like they could. And so it was just interesting how the crisis kind of parted the waters of relationships. And I wouldn't have pre-guessed who would have leaned in and who wouldn't. So, so I would just encourage anybody who is on the, I've got a friend who's struggling to just uh, don't withdraw um, prayer and, and kind words or appreciate. Don't try to fix or solve. Medical community couldn't, and God hasn't yet. You know, maybe, maybe your recipe, maybe your supplements, maybe your whatever might be a help. But you know, don't don't overdo this fix it solve it thing. But do just enter into hey, I hurt with you. I'm sorry. Because here here's the deal: those of us who have had that moment that Judas talked about, whether it's hearing the cancer word or hearing the divorce word or hearing the bankrupt word or whatever it is, and and you have that, you are in a state of loss. You've entered a season of loss. And one thing that a lot of Christian faith hasn't taught us how to do well is to enter in to the season of loss. And the appropriate response to loss simply is grief. Hmm. Grieving well enlarges the soul. There's actually a, a means of grieving well, and there's also a means of grieving poorly. But if we choose to, or don't know how to grieve well, if we choose to grieve poorly, or don't know how to grieve well, then we're going to miss uh, some of the beauty and significance of, of what is awaiting us. And the other thing is we want to fast forward all this. We just want to be done. We want to microwave all forms of pain and just get out of it as fast as possible. And you know, one of the beauties of God is he can see the end of the story. And if I had known in that rehab, we're still early in this story, but if I had known in that rehab that eventually I would eat again and walk again and even run and preach again, I would have had hope and courage that I didn't have, but I didn't know that. And so what I did have was loss and grief. And God actually allows us to sit in that for a while, it seems, for a lot of us. Mm -hmm. There's so many times in those moments, it's like the Lord clears everything off the plate. And like you said, if I had known where I would be today, I would have had some of that hope that might have put some dependence even on myself rather than at this point in the story, there's nothing. It's you and God. And you don't know what the next stage holds. So, so you're getting it. That, that, that sometimes I believe in our journey where I'm not saying God causes these things. I'm not talking about that. But he does allow us to end up in certain scenarios where we're dependent upon him or we're in trouble because uh, we got nowhere else to go. So 
uh, in, in rehab, just to pick up the story, um, and they were helping me learn how to clothe myself again and take my first steps again and, and uh, uh, be able to have, what are you going to do if you need to go to the bathroom? Well, I need my wife's help in every room of the house. What do you do if... So we, we were just working through the, the, the life care kind of situations. And back to your early th- earlier question, just for a moment as a sideline, one thing that people can do is think through what are the practical, practical. needs that, you know, sometimes they don't need big amounts of anything. They just need dinner tomorrow night. Or they need a handicap bar installed next to their toilet or in their shower so they can, or they need a ramp to get up into their house. I mean, this is like practical daily stuff, but how am I supposed to go from rehab to home with a home that wasn't built for somebody who is now in a wheelchair in a handicapped condition? So, so anyway, um, uh, so I, I get released from rehab and now my wife has become my caregiver and I've, I have to step down from my role. I didn't mention that I've been pastor of a church similar to Lex City, a multi-staff uh, church with lots going on, and it was an honor to be in your role, Brian, to lead a team like I led in a congregation like this. And, and so that was the context of, of this, uh, occupationally, of this crisis. But I had to step down from my role. My, the attack upon the muscular system wasn't only in my inability to walk or or be mobile or swallow, it also affected my speech because your tongue, your lips, your cheeks, your soft palate, all that have to work in, you know, in cooperation with each other. And so I was not understandable uh, in, in by many people. If you got close and listened well, you might be able to pick up what I was trying to say. So I had no capacity to lead mentally or physically. So I had to step down from my role, and we were confined to our living room, basically, and life got very quiet. And this is one of the challenges for some of us in pain. The loss wasn't just like the physical activity. I already implied there's some loss of relationships because some people don't know what to do with you. Oh, there might be a loss of income. Oh, there's like a loss of freedom. Loss can end up, you know, going on on multiple layers. It's not, oh, too bad, dude. You used to be healthy and now you're sick. Well, yeah, but that's just like one layer of it. There's lots of layers. So, again, grieving well enlarges the soul. So I think, too, there's that loss of its identity, right? So this is who I am. You're underselling. You are leading a, a very large, one of the largest ministries in our CMA family, and that's gone. And so I, I, I'm John the pastor, and now I'm, I'm not, I'm John who needs help with every area. And I know for so many, uh, I, I think that's such great insight. We, we, we face some of these loss and we, we try to take care of the physical things. We go to rehab, but if we're not addressing the soul issues, if we're not addressing that emotional depression and loss that comes, we're short selling. And I, and I think I appreciate so much about your story and, and those that are listening it's significant what you're walking through right now. This is affecting you holistically, and uh, that recovery and hope through that's it's got to be holistic, physical, spiritual, emotional, what, what God's got to do and, and kind of help you through that process. So we're finding you here at, in probably some ways, maybe the darkest part of the journey when it's just, I have some capacity, but it's I'm alone. And like you said, that's a great word. Life got really quiet. And uh, in that quiet uh, we have a lot of time in our own head, which is a, a blessing and a curse. 
and thankfully I was able gradually to read more and more. But interestingly, the quietness wasn't just from life's activities. It was also from heaven. It felt like I couldn't hear from God for a season. Some of the ancients call it the dark night of the soul, where it seems like God would remove himself. Why would the God of this universe do that, especially at a time like this? Well, I can't answer that for everybody, but I can say that it's pretty consistent throughout the scriptures. And one reason is that God wants to be sought. He wants us to seek him with all of our hearts and all of our souls. And so some of that seeking. I, I came to the place, place Brian, where, with uh, the disciples in John chapter 6 when Jesus has a really difficult sermon. You remember in John chapter 6 about I, you know, eat my body and drink my drink blood. My blood. <laughs> and uh, it says that many of the disciples left. And then he turns to the core 12 and says, you're not going to leave me too, are you? And I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but Peter responds, and it's like he says, well, me and the boys talked about it. <laughs> uh, that sermon was not easy. We're really not liking you a whole lot right now, but where else will we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. See, I'd grown up in a Christian home. I'd been in the Christian faith all my experience. I'd, I'd never walked away from the Christian faith. But now, as you know, a guy had been a pastor for over 20 years and a 40-some-year-old man, I'm for the first time getting stripped down to the, just the basics. Is there a God or not? Is he good or not? Do I love him or even want to be around him or not? Whether he's silent, whether he's loud, whether he heals, whether he doesn't. Now, that's secondary. Right now, I just need to know, is he for real and is he good? And in those moments, those clarifying questions, and I think part of the encouragement was, is, as I hear you say that, I mean, you're, you're a man who's walked with God, close with the Lord, and to hear the honesty of that for some of you, that's the season you find yourself in. I'm searching, is there God? And maybe there's something wrong. Maybe I never had faith. No, I think it's a great reminder. This is part and very natural in that journey. Uh, even as you look through Scripture, those who have walked with Jesus so consistently had these moments, as you said. And so part is just don't be discouraged. This is part of the journey. And those emptiness of times is is potentially the journey God has you on in that time. And so we can begin to doubt our faith, begin to doubt all these things, and it's actually the opposite that's happening. Yes, your faith is actually being deepened. And not only don't think you're alone, don't isolate. The number one temptation my wife and I had in these next months was to pull away even further, to not go to church. It was a pain to go to church. You had to pack me in the wheelchair, get me out of the car, get me out into the, it's just a whole rigmarole. It was just hard. And then I used to be on the platform, like leading the way. And now I'm in the back row in the wheelchair section. And I, I, I just, it was all, how you doing pastor? Worse than last week. How are you? You know, I, I wasn't getting better. I wasn't feeling the joy of the Lord. And the, the, we just didn't want to be in community. But can I say to somebody right now, when you need people the most, you're tempted to be with them the least. And don't give in to that temptation. Still engage in your small group. Still answer your phone. Still show up and worship at church. It might feel different. You might not like it. It might be work. But 
Satan's trying to isolate you to pick you off like that, you know, animal that separates the pack and the lions are there to pounce. Just stay in community. That's a great word. So you're at this teetering point. You're making some choices by the choice of your will, not what you feel. I'm going to re-engage in community. I'm, I'm, I'm seeking the Lord in these moments. What's the, the next little chapter look like? So the chapter was long. Um, went on for a year in that place where the doctors were gradually giving up on all things related to the swallow. Happily, I was able to go through, because of therapy and some of the medical help, I was able to go from the wheelchair to the walker to the cane and uh, from the passenger seat to the driver's seat. After a whole year and some months, I was able to drive again. Ooh, that was a big day. Joanna doesn't like to drive, and I don't like to be driven, so that was a marriage test right there, all these uh, secondary things that we were learning about. But um, one pivotal moment for me, Brian, was a metaphor change. Now, here's what had happened. A friend would call me up and say, John, you were run over by a truck. You were just going along doing your thing, and wham, you were nailed. Now, he was trying to encourage me, and it was encouraging that he realized that my situation happened very rapidly and very strong, but here in Kentucky, what do you call things that are run over by trucks? I don't know. Roadkill? Oh, yes. <laughs> okay. You know, that raccoon, yep. you know, in the middle of the road? Uh, well, that's the universal word for it, roadkill, you know? And so uh, that's that became my metaphor. Hmm. Careful, careful what messages we repeat to ourselves or what pictures we have of our story. I said, God, I need a different metaphor. No, we need to agree together that he's the God who answers old prayers, not just the ones you pray in the last five minutes, because another mistake that we make is we pray, like I prayed for that, change of a metaphor, or people would pray for my healing and nothing that appeared happened. And we have the tendency to walk away and say, well, that didn't work. Yeah. No, wait a minute. We give our milk two weeks before it expires. Why don't we give our prayers 10 minutes? Mm -hmm. He's the God who answers old prayers, and he remembers our prayers. And so uh, anyway, I, I didn't get an answer to that prayer for probably a few months. But one day I was in my recliner where I usually was and was trying to do my speech therapy and physical therapy and these things. And an image came to my mind. It was of a potter with a clay pot circling around on a wheel. The pot was quite well formed, quite well developed, probably three feet high. And the artist's hands were working that pot when suddenly he took that clay and pushed that pot all the way back down to the wheel into the form of a ball and was doing a do-over on that work of art. The hands were still damp, the hands were still working that clay, the wheel was still going around, but that artist was starting over and the vision was gone. Vision, I didn't see it with my eyes, but you know, I just I saw this picture. And I stopped and said, God, is that my story? Yes. I complained. But I like the old pot. I like the running, preaching, eating John. I don't like the sitting, spitting, silent John, but I paused, but God, if your hands are still on my life, if you're doing a do-over in me, I had a two-word answer. I'm in. 
I'm in. I'll, I'll, I'll participate. I, I, I don't like the fact that I'm over a year into the store and I still can't eat and that I still can't lead the church and I still can't do hardly anything that I once did. I don't like where I'm at. But God, if, you're, if your hands are on me and if there's a purpose to this, then I'll participate. And somebody needs to hear that while the condition they're in might have been caused by other people's sin or might have been caused by just the brokenness of this world, or even if it was caused by they themselves, that God's hands are still on your life and your storyline is still being written and there can be a beautiful purpose in this as we hang on to him. Well, that visual is so power, the contrast between that and the roadkill, right? The reality of, of God never wasting our pain and, and God still, I, I love that visual you give of, of hands still on the wheel and uh, the story isn't done yet. Uh, so we move forward. So and we need to get to the, uh, pick this up. So a year and a half into the story. It's now April of 2010. We're going to go on a road trip to see our son graduate from college going to go from Oregon to Minnesota by way of Tennessee and make it a real road trip. We haven't been out of town in so long. I can drive again. And so we had nine cases of the medical food in the back of the car. So I'd have something to live on during this road trip. And off we went and visited family and friends along the way. And, but we got to St. Louis, Missouri, and my feeding tube stopped working. I'm over a thousand miles away from home. Nothing has gone down my throat for a year and a half. I can't even swallow my own saliva. I have to live with spit rags, spit towels, spit cups. Joanna would tear off 12 pieces of paper towel and put them on each side of my pillow at night so I'd have something to spit my saliva in. You want to be careful when you rode with us in the car, Brian. Joanna's Diet Coke in the one cup holder, my spit cup in the other cup holder. You didn't want to mix up those. You only made the mistake one time, but you, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, St. Louis. My feeding tube is stuck. Nothing we can do. We're trying to do a little, you know, mechanical operation. I can't get the thing to work, and I can't get my swallow to work. And so I've got no way to get anything into my body. And we prayed one of the weakest prayers we've ever prayed. Really? Started driving further east. Why don't you go to a doctor? I don't know what doctor to go to. I just needed some time to think and to pray and to sort this out. And Joanna that morning reached over and prayed for me as she had so many times before. Put her hand on my throat, prayed for me in the name of Jesus with tears streaming down her face. And Brian, all I can say is something twitched or clicked. It was the smallest of movements. It was almost uh, you know, imperceptible, but something happened at that moment. She wasn't massaging me or anything like that. It just something internally happened. I thought, could it be that on the day of our greatest crisis, could it be when nobody else around, thousands of people had prayed for me, but now here we're alone in our rental car in the middle of Illinois. Could it be that today God would heal me? And I did something that doctors are like, no, you idiot. If you're trying to test your swallow, you do like mashed potatoes so that when it goes into your lungs, you can cough it up. But I took a little sip of orange juice, and I can still remember the feeling today of that orange juice going all the way down and a little burp coming all the way back up. Life was returning to the system. We pulled over at a Casey's gas station in Grayville, Illinois, held each other and took my spit cup, threw it in the garbage can, and declared, greater is he that is in me than the disease that attacks me. Got back in the car and headed over to a Wendy's, and I bought the biggest Frosty that they'd sell me. <laughs> 
and uh, finished the night off with a bowl of chili and woke up the next morning without a single spit rag needed. I had slept through the night swallowing my own saliva. God healed me at the moment of our greatest crisis, and I give him praise and glory. And God, in his infinite goodness, as I hear you share that, allowed your wife to be the instrument who had been yeah. such a caregiver to, to allow her to be his hand in that process. What a gift. It was very special. She had given up the last year and a half of her life to be at my side, and now she got to... Uh, be the tool that God used at that moment. So I hadn't gained any weight with all that medical food, but um, cheesecake, <laughs> my body understood cheesecake just fine. So um, by the time I got back to the doctors, uh, I had gained 15 pounds and they were ready to give me the lecture of my life because I heard word. Who gave him permission to eat? That was from the ear, nose, throat doctor that had run the hose up the nose and given me a guided tour place I never wanted to see. And he had validated Stumbo, which you have, is inoperable in both senses of the word. There's no operation that can fix it, and it's completely non-operating. There's nothing for medicine to do. He had validated that, but now I'm eating. He thinks I'm going to kill myself, but I came back. I've gained all this weight. And so with that, was able to re-engage in ministry. And a few years later, the Alliance family said, well, we prayed him back to life. We better give him a job. And so so I get to be in this role. But Brian, I wouldn't want to leave with the impression for anybody that, oh, but he had his one big moment and then everything was perfect thereafter. Okay. Let's let's just keep the honesty going on the story. God did do a beautiful thing, and he's received a lot of glory for it in my life. I'm grateful for the quality of life I have. But in his sovereignty, as he often does, he left some reminders. Oh of my challenge, some Jacob-like reasons to have a limp. If you remember the wrestling story in Genesis, that Jacob receives a new name, Israel, head high, shoulders back. He has a new identity, and yet he's got a limp because in the wrestling match, his hip was thrown out of the socket. And so... That's the strange gate of a lot of Christ followers. We've, we've got a story to tell, but we've got a limp with it. And so I'm, you know, I'm actually grateful that my voice sounds like I smoke three packs of cigarettes a day, and even though I don't, and that I still have some challenges. I'm not grateful every day for some of the ongoing muscular challenges that I have. I, I miss the days desperately when I... Uh, beat my son at tennis and uh, competed with my daughter in running and, you know, was out there on those trails. But here's one more principle. Don't let the fact that you can't do what you once did keep you from doing what you can do now. That's really good. You have a different story, my listening friend, than you had before you entered this crisis. Your life will not go back to the way it was before, but that's Okay. Because a deeper story is being written. And as you grieve well, as you ask God those hard questions, as you seek him in his word, as you engage in community, as you own those emotions and express those emotions appropriately, as you allow those emotions to take you into deeper forms of worship, as you grieve well, your soul will be enlarged and you'll be able to empathize with people you didn't otherwise care about and you'll be able to relate to psalms you otherwise missed and you'll worship from a deeper place. That's so good. And I think that's a wonderful byproduct of it that you shared there is that you will have an a empathy at, at a greater level. And some of you today, 
And that will be part of your story and your journey on the other side of where you're facing this moment. You'll have a greater understanding what it means to for those that walk through when their marriage falls apart or the, the business collapses or they get that call from the doctor. There, there is something in your heart that has been enlarged to the point that you understand what it means to care about something greater than yourself and others. And, and uh, I, I certainly appreciate that about your leadership, uh, even within our church family and in our denomination. You, you see that, that empathetic heart of understanding. Uh, as I got to watch you minister, even to pastors, through some of the challenges of this last couple of years, there was an understanding of what pain and loss and feeling alone was all about. And, and I really uh, affirm that fruit that I've seen in your life from what God has, has done in there. Can I leave with two um, opportunities? Or, Love it. Or resources. One of them is um, God did call us to write this into a story, and a publisher wanted to title it Swallowed by Joy, and I about gagged. It's like, no, you don't understand. It's not just about the miracle. Yes, there was a miracle, but what I have to write about is where is God when life got really confusing? So. They can still pick up books on Amazon or elsewhere called An Honest Look at a Mysterious Journey. Joanna also co-authored it because I said to her, honey, I wasn't there for part of the journey. I was unconscious for something. you got to help write this. So, so An Honest Look at a Mysterious Journey. And the other resource, Psalm 74. I'm going to close with just a few verses here, Brian. The psalmist says we're given no miraculous signs. No prophets are left, and none of us knows how long this will be. God, we can't find you. How long will the enemy mock you, oh God? Will the foe revile your name forever? Does this have no end? Why don't you do something about this? God, would you get your hands out of your pockets and do something, please? I'm paraphrasing. And then you hit verse 12. But you, oh God, are my king from of old. You bring salvation upon the earth. It was you who opened up springs and streams. He's the God of, of abundance. And it was you who dried up the ever-flowing rivers. He brought the drought. The day is yours. We like that in America, the God of the daytime. And yours also the night. You established the sun and the moon. It was you who set all the boundaries of the earth. You made both summer and winter. He's the God of both and. Your best day and your hardest. Your best news and your worst. Too much American theology is the God of the good time only. And I know, Brian, that you believe that the whole storyline is still part of the hands of God, especially as we go into the weeks now of, you know, Holy Week and Good Friday, that our Christ himself knows what it is to suffer and ultimately to grieve well is to enter into suffering with him. What a powerful word. The very story of the gospel is a story told through suffering. And so, John, thanks so much for sharing a little bit of, of your life and your heart and your journey, which is not yet done. And uh, the hope that I hope that it puts, uh, even for those of you that are listening today, I want to encourage you, uh, some of these resources that John mentioned, uh, all the links and notes from this podcast, if you'd like to be available, just visit lexcity.church slash off the record, and all those resources will have links there for us. Well, thanks for joining us for another week. I hope this has encouraged your heart and uh, given you a little hope today with Off the Record.